With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Breaks a tackle. Hey everybody, welcome into the BSN Buffs podcast presented by Canyon Bakehouse. As always, I'm your host, Henry Chisholm, and today, Sunday, uh, we're going to talk just a little bit about what happened yesterday uh, against Air Force. You know, we all had a night to kind of think things over and collect our thoughts, and I'm ready to share mine, and I'm excited to get through this so we can move on to Pac-12 conference play because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. Um, Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about the delicious certified gluten-free breads, bagels, English muffins, and other baked goods that are made right here in Johnstown, Colorado. Canyon Bakehouse's gluten, dairy, nut, and soy-free products make it easy for families to enjoy the taste and texture of fresh bread so everyone can love bread again. Find them at any major grocery store in the freezer or fresh bread aisle or purchase online and visit canyonglutenfree.com to grab a coupon. So I think to start things off, we have to talk about Aaron Maddox first. Aaron Maddox. I don't know why I put so much emphasis on that O. Um, You know, as I've said plenty of times on this podcast, Aaron's one of my favorite people to talk to on the team just because he's always he always has something interesting to say he's kind of a bright kid uh he's funny just the the quotes really jump out and that's why you go to somebody like that um Aaron went down I think in the second quarter second or third quarter um with a leg injury he he was making a tackle slid like rolled into one of the misting fans on the sideline, you know, they have those set up to cool the players off. Just big metal fans to like spray mist out. Um, it looked worse than it was, and that's the good news. You know, he was carted off the field. He looked like he was in a lot of pain. The people or the buffs who saw him over on that sideline, he was on the Air Force sideline, um, right, covering their eyes. It was it was kind of a scary scene. And up in the press box, you know, we had the binoculars and 
the people with the binoculars were saying some stuff that made you think that it could be a pretty gruesome injury, the kind of stuff that they don't show replays of. Um, and found out after the game, uh, CU Sports Information said that they found out uh, Aaron actually, it was just a really deep cut to the lower part of his leg, nothing broken, no damage to the tendons, and something broken is what we were fearing, just based on what we were able to see and what we heard. Um, Good news there. It's still going to be a lengthy recovery. Uh, Four or five weeks is what we're hearing. They're kind of circling that Washington State game. Um, And that leaves, you know, half half the season from there still to be played. Um, Scary scene. Worked out better than a lot of us were anticipating, and that is great news. And at the end of the day, that is what is most important. Um, and while that was kind of a lucky break for the Buffs, it m- was one of very few against Air Force. That was a tough game to watch. You know, from a football perspective, you you guys know how much I love watching that Air Force offense. But I didn't want to see them just tear up the buffs the way they did in that first half. Just just couldn't just couldn't stop. The buffs just could not stop that offense. You know, they pound him inside. If you guys read the film room, you know all about how the offense works. It's built off of doing the same thing over and over again and then tweaking it just a tiny bit so that you can take advantage when the defense cheats when one player on the defense cheats, when the, a coach cheats by trying to send more people to the middle, um, because Air Force has their coaches up in the box. You know, Mikhail Onu called it the eye in the sky, just looking down, looking for that kind of stuff, things that you can use against the defense. Let them, let them just run themselves out of the play. That's what they do. And they found success early. You know, that first play of the game, they called a pass. It was incomplete, but... They only passed once in their season opener against Colgate. It's catching the defense off guard, and it didn't work. But from then on, you knew they were going to they were going to change things up a little bit. Uh, second play of the game, they have the slot back on the right. They open to the left, like they're going to run the option to the left, and the quarterback turns around and hands it to the slot back, who just takes it right up the middle. Um, for 15 yards because the defense saw what they were looking for. They saw the quarterback open like he was going to run the option to the left. Everybody left the middle of the defense, got torched up the middle, 15 yards. Next play, I think, was a 13-yard gain on the exact same play to the exact same player. Um, And Mel Tucker called a timeout, and they talked about what they saw, and they adjusted, and they didn't get beat like that on that play again. I'll tell you that. Um... But that's kind of just how that first half went. Whatever Air Force wanted to do, whether it was the fullback dive, whether it was getting the ball outside, they were able to do it. They are actually throwing the ball pretty well, too. Um, so they had six drives in the first half. The first one was stopped by a fumble. Aaron Maddox actually forced the fumble, and Davion Taylor picked it up. Uh, it was a great play. Fullback just coming up the middle, and he punched it out. Um so they stopped him, and they dodged a bullet, and then they went down the field and scored. And, and no, that, that one set up the field goal because 
the Buffs got the ball first and took the ball down the field and scored. So they, they went up 10 nothing after kicking a field goal. And we'll get in more into the offense in the second segment. Um, but yeah, they, they look good. They were up 10-zip. Um, kick the field goal, give the ball back. And it's a seven-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. Uh, next time Air Force gets the ball, it's a 12-play, 78-yard touchdown drive. Uh, next time it's a two-play, 78-yard touchdown drive. Because they just got caught off guard with the pass. There was no way defending the middle. And then uh, Air Force picked off a pass, give themselves great field position after three 75-plus-yard touchdown drives. Um, they work it down to the goal line, about the two-yard line. The quarterback, DJ Hammond, makes a great play to evade a pass rusher, steps up, slings a ball sidearm, uh, bounces off the receiver's chest into the air, and Mikhail Onu, as always, is there to pick it off. Uh, that was his third interception. Yeah, I, th- I believe third interception and fourth forced turnover, fourth takeaway of the season in like just before halftime of the third game. Stopped a score. That was huge. Um, the the next drive. Oh, so there are actually only five uh, possessions for Air Force in the first half. Three touchdowns, the fumble, the interception. They got the ball to start the third quarter and took it down the field, seven plays, 40 yards. But then uh, Mikhail Onu again knocks the ball out, and Nuomotu Fallow jumps on it. I think that's actually the third time that uh, Fallow has recovered a fumble. Yeah, I think that's his third fumble recovery, and two of them are from Onu. Um, So that's Onu's second uh, takeaway coming from a fumble, fumble that he forced and then was recovered by his defense to go with three interceptions. That's five turnovers uh, by himself through three games. He's living up to the hype. You know, I haven't been able to figure out or, or find anywhere that's already updated their stats from yesterday, but I can tell you going into week three, there were only 13 teams that had forced more than five turnovers. Um, Obviously, there will be more than that because every team, like 130 teams, get more uh, more opportunities this week in week three because they're playing another game to force more turnovers. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Mikhail Onu has more takeaways himself than about half the FBS defenses. Uh, he's playing incredibly well. After the game, I asked him about it, and he didn't really care he said you know I just want to win games which is what you expect but you never know when you throw that question out at somebody if they're just going to say hey yeah it's exciting this is what I'm here for to prove that I can play at NFL level and he didn't because he's a smart guy and it's Mel Tucker coach team and they don't really do stuff like that but give him a chance (laughs) you know Um, he was another bright spot today as he has been in every game um yeah, so that kind of takes us through those first six drives. Three touchdowns, two fumbles, an interception. The only way the Buffs were stopping this team is by forcing turnovers, which you don't want. You know, that the first drive before the fumble, three yards per play, then over 10 yards per play on the next drive, and then uh, 78 divided by 12, that's like, what, five yards per play, five and a half yards per play, the next one, two plays, 78 yards. So that's 39 yards per play. 
next one, 3.8 yards per play. Next one, uh, just under six yards per play. They were moving the ball at will, and they were doing it however they wanted. And Mel Tucker said after the game that that's exactly what they do. And it's the same thing that we've talked about. They do what they do. Uh, they run the ball up the middle with the fullback until you prove you can stop that. And then once you stop that, then they start going outside because you've probably committed that many people. And so then once you stop them outside, then they throw the ball or they switch back in. And they just go through this progression of different concepts of what they're trying to do, what their game plan is. And that part of it is almost just set in stone that that is how they progress through the game. It's just going, we're going to start with this. And then when that stops working, we move to this. But then at the same time, they're looking every play to see, oh, we can tweak this and actually do something else by going this way. And so you have this big, larger progression through the game with all of these little twists and turns through it so that the defense is always caught off guard. It's frustrating, obviously, to play against. Um, luckily, the buffs don't have to play it again. And thinking forward, I, I don't know when the next time they'll play another triple option team is. I'm not sure if they have one on the schedule. Which is nice because these it's it's frustrating. It's it's a tough tough game to plan for. <sighs> yeah, frustrating. Um, second half though, the defense stepped up, uh, and that's exciting. That's what you want to see. You know, they start off by forcing the fumble, and then uh, give up less than twenty yards before they force their uh, force a punt, the first punt of the game. Uh, next drive, give up. 51 yards and a field goal again much better than the first half then they push them back and force a punt and then they kneel to end out the half you know they started to clean things up people followed their responsibilities their backs were up against the wall and it's that same thing that we've seen from this team over and over again this season when their backs up against the wall they produce for some reason in other situations they just can't figure it out and that is that's frustrating so we uh i think that's mostly the takeaways from the defense a uh, couple more notes i guess makai blackman didn't start at cornerback chris miller actually started in his place um worth noting akil jones got most of the reps at inside linebacker over john van deest if you listen to the draft podcast you'll hear you know Andre wasn't as high on uh, John Van Deese, thought there were some mental errors in the last game. Uh, I didn't get a chance to ask Mel whether this is what to expect going forward, whether this was a matchup-based decision. Um, but again, worth noting. Also, uh, when Aaron Maddox went down, it was Darian Rakestraw who came in to replace him at safety, uh, which is what you expect. That was the next guy up on the depth chart. You never know, though, one of those safety spots. It could be Sam Neuer, who is the backup to the other safety spot, whether he would just flip over. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what we were seeing out there. It's, it's kind of tough to take too much away from this game just because Colorado played a different offense than – Air Force played a different offense than anything Colorado will see. Um 
that kind of minimizes what what you can learn. It is good, as we've said before, that they were able to adjust at halftime and find a way to slow down this triple option offense. You'd like to see that sooner. And, and I think that that's starting to become a little bit frustrating. And where it's becoming even more frustrating is on the offensive side of the ball. And we're going to get there in a second. But before we do, I want to talk about our favorite beers from Breckenridge Brewery. I'm actually headed out to the Bronco game this afternoon. Uh, see them lose to the Bears. Just kidding. They might, they might, they might win. You never know. Uh, it wasn't a promising first showing. Definitely wasn't a promising first showing for the Bears either. There's some crazy stat that <laughs> I think call, uh, the Broncos have won seven straight games or seven straight home openers when they actually opened the season on the road. It's like week two home openers. It's totally meaningless, but it's not like you're getting hyped up about seeing the football team. You know, you're not saying, oh, wow, this team's going to come out and beat them. So you just got to hope that that sort of superstition is on their side. But that's not the point. The point is I'm going to be having some of the United in Orange uh, beer produced by Breckenridge Brewery uh, because it was made for that. I, I believe it was made for the Super Bowl run a few years ago, and they've kept it around uh, Bronco beer. So not many places get to say they have a Bronco beer. Um, Bud Light, I guess, has like the cans that have a Broncos logo on it, but that's not the same. That's not the same at all. This is this is real Bronco beer, and I'm excited to have a couple and forget about the football game Saturday and probably to forget about the game that's about to happen on Sunday too. Um, yeah. Uh, also, as we've mentioned before, make sure you're checking out the uh, the calendar event calendar on bsndenver.com. Uh, Breckenridge event calendar is the point of why I'm bringing it up now. Uh, tells you everything that we're going to be doing, watch parties, bar crawls, that kind of stuff. And we hope you come and hang out with us. Oh, also, Ali Monroy was making strawberry sky mimosas yesterday at the BSN BST tailgate before the game. So, like, champagne, orange juice, and some strawberry sky. And I thought that, that was going to be uh, terrible, obviously, because of the list of the ingredients. But it was actually really good and something worth trying. Just throw a little strawberry sky in there and they'll be much, much better. Hey guys, it's Allie and Lindsay here. And we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Weinster is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Weinster is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Weinster, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Weinster is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. 
What's also ideal about Weinster is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Weinster.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. All right. Uh, we got to talk defense. The defense wasn't really the problem, though. You don't want to be giving up 20 points, almost 27 if Mikhail Onu doesn't come up with that. I mean, it was a lucky interception to end the half. Um, they, they gave up 20 points in the first half, gave up three points in the second half, gave up a touchdown on the first play of overtime on that. <laughs> just that the same action to Remsburg that Remsburg always scores on. 4-3 speed guy. He is fast. Didn't talk about that. We don't need to relive it. Time to move on. There are a lot of things that you can really point to and say this is why the offense is bad. And it's not even that bad. It's just inconsistent. And that's what the frustrating part is, is you see the flashes. You see, you know, the first drive of the game, 11 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Cruise down the field like they should against a Mountain West team. Wasn't always easy. They got knocked back. 11-play drive, that means you're grinding down the field. But they got the job done, and that's what matters. Uh, ended with the 42-yard touchdown to LaVisca Chenault. Caught the ball, brushed off a tackler. Didn't brush him off. That makes it sound like too easy. He fought that guy off. He grabbed him and threw him off and then ran the rest of the way down the field for a touchdown because nobody can catch him because he's so fast. It was a good day for LaVisca Chenault, and that is definitely worth noting. Uh, I believe 142 yards. I have the numbers right here. Uh, he put up 124 yards on eight catches and a touchdown with a long of 42 yards. There we go. Um, he also carried the ball three times for 25 yards and a touchdown. The touchdown being the one that sent the game into overtime from two yards out, lines up the Wildcat, plunges forward, and that play will always work. So that makes you wonder why they didn't do it again to just end the game right there, to score the two-point conversion, give the ball back to Air Force with, whatever, 30 seconds on the clock, maybe even less. It's a decision that Mel Tucker was confident in. Um, just to m make this very clear, uh, they could have gone for two at the end of the game to win the game or lose the game if they didn't make it, or they could kick the extra point to go overtime. They decided to kick the extra point and go to overtime. Mel was happy with that decision after. He said he felt like at that point their offense was playing well, their defense was playing well, and they wanted to keep it going. I mean, the the thinking there, and he, he didn't want to be this bold in his answer, especially after losing this Air Force team, but in his mind he was thinking, we are the better football team, and right now we are playing like the better football team. The the longer the situation is, and in this case, it's both teams getting the ball from the 25-yard line and running whatever, three plays or five plays, seven plays, whatever it is, that is more time for the talent to win out. When it's a one-play situation, when it's two yards, you either pick up the two yards and win or you don't and you lose, then there's more risk. There's If, if Colorado's going to win, whatever you want to call that, on 60 or 70% of the plays... They have a 60 or 70% chance of winning right there. But 
the course, uh, the, the chances of that 60 or 70% winning out consistently over the 10 total plays in overtime is larger. And that's what the thought process is, and I really can't doubt him for that. The only, the only hesitation I have is that you do have LaVisca Chenault, and I don't believe there's ever been a time that he has been stopped when you put him in the Wildcat and tell him to just run forward. You know, I, I like that look. We saw it a couple times today. And what I like most about it is that when we say it like that, it sounds very simple. But what's really happening is LaVisca catches the ball in the shotgun, holds it for a second, and reads where to run the ball. This isn't him just being strong and saying, yep, head down, go straight ahead. They won't be able to stop you because you could do that. But there's upside when you sit back there for just a half second, a second, wait for a hole to develop, and then try to hit it hard and bust a big one. It's just like so many plays that involve LaVisca Chenault. It's just a, a joy to watch. Um, and I think that with a guy like him, the odds of success going into the or going with the two-point conversion are more than that 60 or 70% that come with just being the more talented team, the better football team at that point in the game. Um, I, I understand not wanting to run that same play on back-to-back -back plays, though. You know, that's what got them into the end zone to do the exact same thing again. Defense might be anticipating it. Maybe that matters. Maybe it doesn't. I don't, I personally do not fault Mel Tucker for sending the game to overtime. I think if, if I were in his shoes, I would have done the same. I have had doubts, though. He says he hasn't. I, I have questioned whether it would have been better to just try to end it right there because you do have that talent. Um... I think that was the biggest coaching decision of the day. Um, it has to be. It has to be. There is never a bigger decision than that one. Um, and I think we've kind of talked that to death. So let's get back to this offense. You know, LaVisca Chenault's strong performance. That's what you like to see. He looked like himself. He didn't look banged up. Um, Steven Montez kind of did. He didn't look like himself. He, he did take a hit. It's tough. Uh... You know, this offensive line, I, I stand by the fact that it is better than it was last season. Whether it is good enough to take you to a bowl game, I'm not, I'm not so sure yet. We are still seeing Steven get a little bit scared after he gets hit a couple times he gets a happy feet he gets a little jumpy you you want him to fix that i mean there are two ways that that gets solved either he figures out how to get past it or the offensive line figures out how to make him not get hit so many times throughout a football game um you know steven again came out a little tentative i think he called the offense lethargic early was his word i like tentative just because there were times when I thought he had opportunities to push the ball downfield, and he decided not to. Uh, and that's been a theme. That's something we've talked about. He went with the check down. Uh, he just tried to get the ball out in the flat. He tried to get to the, the ball and the to the receiver on the crossing out three yards downfield when there was somebody open downfield. And there were a couple times he didn't see that guy downfield. Um, actually, both quarterbacks. I was sitting with uh, Mark Kisla from the Denver Post. Uh, during the game, which is a blast. I've been pretty lucky these last couple games. You know, 
I said this last time, like, you might like Woody Page, you might not like him, and I can't really fault you either way, but I like him, and so it's a joy. Kizla, I bet more of you don't don't like him, just because he is a little bit negative. I think at one point he even said, you know, I I, I was the little brother growing up, and I kind of antagonized my brother, and now I just kind of do that for a career. Like, he knows that that's his thing. He, he, he and, and, I respect that because there is a place for it. As much as I try not to, my coverage is going to be just a little bit more positive than it probably should be because, you know, I know Mel Tucker. I know LaVisca Chenault. I know all these guys, and I think that they're good football players, and I trust them, and I know that they're doing the right thing. And if I were to go and, I don't know, cover Mike Leach or whatever and get to know all these Washington State players— I would probably start to trust them too and see that they really do approach the game the right way and that they're smart and that they're tactical and all these things. But right now, that's from this far away. It's a question mark. And so just the fact that I know that this program checks these boxes and I don't know that other programs do, it makes me see this program just a little bit above those others. And sometimes you need to check on that. And that check is a guy like Mark Kisla. But I was sitting with Kisla up in the box. We... we had a lot of fun talking through things. I actually got on a roll of uh, calling plays. I felt like Tony Romo up there. And I, I, Kizla wasn't acknowledging it either, which was kind of funny because we'd be talking. Like There there'd be a play where uh, Montez flips the running back to the other side. He's lined up to the right in the shotgun. He goes over to the left. And Kizla would say, like, oh, is this this? And I'd just be like, well, look, he wants that inside zone right there. He, this is just going to be his handoff up the middle. He's going to get like seven, eight yards. And then he did it. And it happened again. Uh, it was the touchdown to uh, Dimitri Stanley. You know, Stanley's uh, goes in motion across the formation. But before he goes in motion, I, I believe it's Tony Brown is lined up, single coverage outside, plenty of space. And Kizla says, oh, it looks like they, sh- they should just throw the slant route here. And I was like, yeah, it makes sense. Dimitri Stanley comes across the formation. And Kizzle's like, ah, I don't know if you can do it now. I said, well, just have Stanley run this fade route, uh, fade or a corner or something, get him up and out of there, and then you can have the slant route in behind him. And they end up throwing the touchdown to Stanley on the fade route. It, it was a blast. I had so much fun because I, I, I felt like Tony Romo up there for most of the game. Um, point is, Kizzle and I kept seeing uh, receivers just wide open that the quarterbacks didn't see on both sides. You know, they'd be wide open on the sideline, waving their hands, begging for the ball, and the quarterback wouldn't throw it. And, you know, when Steven Montez does that, it's incredibly frustrating. And, you know, it, I'd be lying if I said I didn't want the Buffs to win this football game. You know, it's more fun to cover a winning team. It's it's just the truth. Like, as much as I am kind of unbiased coming from out of the state, having actually CSU blood in me and not Buffs blood, but I do want to see this team win because I like these guys and it's more fun to cover a winning team. I want them competing for bowl games, you know, all this kind of stuff. I am pulling for them as much as I try to keep that out of my coverage just because it can make things hazy. So it's frustrating when you see Steven Montez miss these guys, but even when DJ Hammond is <laughs> running around totally totally oblivious to the fact that there's a receiver wide open on the other side of the field just waiting for the ball, that is also very frustrating to watch just as a football fan to see it, it gives you anxiety and it just happened over and over. And that's something that, that that's what I'm more concerned about with Steven Montez than anything else. 
you know, I wrote a column yesterday after the game kind of talking about how I would fix this offense, how I would make it consistent. And these it's these guys aren't oblivious to it. They know what's going on. Um, Mel Tucker said that that's what they're doing this week. They are trying to figure out what is causing this inconsistency. And, and it could be so many different things. You know, and I said that uh, in the in the column, you know, this isn't going to be something where it's like, oh, we just have to tweak this one thing. It's not a play that's designed poorly and you can figure out why. There's almost something in this team's personality. And, and maybe you can do something like, hey, we're showing up an hour early and eating breakfast here. Like, we're leaving the team hotel early. We're going to bed early. It's some, something like that. You can make changes to the schedule and hope that that does something that they're just complacent early and there's a way to get them perked up in time for kickoff so that they are coming out hot and starting hot. But odds are there's just something deeper, and I'm not sure what it is. But the one thing that I have seen consistently is that when Steven Montez needs to drive this team down the field, y- yesterday's overtime being the only exception, uh, every time Steven Montez is needed to take this team down the field, he's done it. And he's scored, and that makes you feel good. And he, he put it on himself. He said, you know, we came out there slow and it's my job to run this offense. And so it kind of falls on me. And that's true. And you do have to hold him to that. There's also something to be said for the fact that he was able to bring them back. Like, you know, he has it in him. It's figuring out how to unleash it. And I do think that there's a way to do this schematically to 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 open things up, make it easier. And my read on the situation right now is you're asking Steven Montez to be something he's not. In this offense, he's he's throwing the ball in these short routes, some intermediate routes. You aren't unleashing the deep ball as much as you should be. Right now, he, you're asking him to make too many reads. And that's not what Steven's strength is. You know, he's not a guy who's going through four reads and finding an open guy. That's not what he does. And no matter what he does in practice, in his downtime, in the way he watches film, whatever, he's never going to become that West Coast Tom Brady cerebral type quarterback where it's take what the defense gives you every single play and we will never make a mistake. And so that will get us down the field. He could definitely improve. He could make it so that that isn't like a a major weakness of his, but he's never going to be one of the best in the game at doing that. But he does have the best arm, one of the best arms in the Pac-12 conference, and you need to let him use that. Let him throw the ball downfield. Like, that's what this offense should be built off of. Not reading from the bottom up, but reading from the top back. And you know, there's, there's so much of a push right now kind of this analytics-y push to limit the turnovers and just take what the defense gives you. Play this, like, efficiency ball, just getting your way down the field, you know. Whatever route, seven-yard, eight-yard routes are most efficient because they uh, are most likely to keep you on pace, making down the field. You need to complete two to uh, get a first down. Less likely to get intercepted. They're not risky, like there's the potential to catch it and still run for more after, like uh, LaVisca Chenault did with the touchdown yesterday. Analytics is kind of pushing you toward this, but 
that's not factoring in the fact that that's not Steven Montez's strength. Steven Montez's strength is having a cannon and throwing the ball downfield accurately. You know, even going back to Colorado State game, my major takeaway was he made the easy throws look difficult and the difficult throws look easy. So let him use that arm, run these receivers downfield, and then work backward from there. You know, you're going to throw some interceptions, but throwing interceptions 40 yards downfield really doesn't hurt you all that bad. It's basically a punt anyway. It's when he's making bad decisions close to the line of scrimmage and giving the other team the ball in the Buffs' territory that you're going to get in trouble for that kind of stuff. Let him play to his strengths. And I'm kind of spoiling this column right now. But the point was, I, I said at the end, the last line was something like, you know, if you want me... If you want me to bet my life either on Steven Montez's arm or on Steven Montez's eyes, I'm taking his arm. You know, this is this is a team that when you look at the running backs, the offensive line, they can be good. They can produce a good running game. But then you look at the receivers and you see that this has to be a passing team. And if this is going to be a passing team, do you want to be a short passing team or a deep passing team? That falls entirely on Steven Montez. And I think you'd be crazy to say it. This needs to be a little dink and dunk, get it down there. Because that doesn't use the receivers as well either. Let LaVisca Chenault run loose, get downfield, and make a play. Let Katie Nixon use his speed. Then have Dimitri Stanley almost as this, what would you even call it? Like, I mean, a traditional slot receiver, I guess, is what it is. Let him run the routes, do the dirty work inside. Use the tight ends as checkdowns. Use the running backs as checkdowns. But read the defense from back to front. And that's what you see sometimes, you know. It's just when their backs are up against the wall that they really have this confidence about them. And Steven Montez looks like he's just slinging the rock instead of taking taking what's there, being doing whatever is the very safest. And that's a change I'd make. And I might be wrong. You know, it, it might be that that is a recipe for failure. But at this point when it seems like the team is missing some sort of energy, some sort of, I I don't know. I don't know what you call it, but it's something like an energy, something like a confidence that you can't really pin down. Tell Steven you trust him, you trust his arm, and you trust these receivers to make plays on the ball. Go deep. Be this big play, splashy offense that we all know you can be. You know, you look at the skill positions, and this should be one of those explosive, flashy offenses. But you're not going to get that running an offense that doesn't run them downfield consistently. And and maybe maybe it's Jay Johnson, the offensive coordinator, saying take these safe throws instead of taking the risks of going downfield. Maybe Jay Johnson's pushing Steven to take more of those shots, and Steven is just in his head a little bit about it. Who knows? But whatever it is, you just... I, I think that that is what you try next. Coming out, just firing. Go deep. And then use the short passes as a counter because that will open everything up. That'll open the run game up. The one thing that really scares you is whether he can stay safe in the pocket long enough. Maybe you have to keep running backs in. Maybe you have to keep tight ends in. Maybe that's why they're not doing it at all. But if 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 you're asking me to diagnose what needs to be done, I think that that is definitely what you try next um honestly that kind of sums up what's going on with this offense running game started slow 
It was a little disappointing. There wasn't much flash. Uh, Jaron Mangum ended up being the leading rusher. He went for 56 yards on 10 carries, 5.6 yards per carry, for those of you who are real bad at math. Uh, The longest was 19 yards. He did break that one. Behind him, you know, Alex Fontenot, 3.2 yards per carry on 13 carries. LaVisca Chenault, 8.3 because he's a freak. Deion Smith got a run for two yards. You know, the... Not not a not a huge rushing day. Um, Would have liked to have seen this Buffs offensive line be able to throw around these Air Force guys who are a little bit smaller than them. They didn't, and credit to Air Force for that because that that more than anything, I think that is the takeaway. Air Force is a good football team. This is a football team that I really do think will be playing in a bowl game. They might even be competing for an uh, Mountain West title, even though it is tough coming out of Boise State's division. I think they actually play Boise this weekend, which will be a huge game. One to watch. One to watch because it will actually be fun to see his triple option offense instead of just frustrating. And uh, I wouldn't blame you if after all this talk of the triple option offense and then seeing how it tore the buffs apart in that first half, you just want to take some time off from it. That's what it does. That's what it's designed to do. Um... I think that's most of what I had to say today. Uh, need more from Steven Montez, and there are different ways you can go about that. I think the way to do it is to say, you're our guy, we're all bought in, the team goes as far as you go, and we're going to put you in the best possible situation to do that. And that isn't having him make a bunch of reads, that's letting him use his arm, throw the ball downfield, and then use the shorter stuff as a counter. Um, defensively, you got to wake up early. I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. Uh, again, it's tough to take too much away and from a game where the defense is playing a triple option offense. They were caught off guard. They'd never seen those looks before. I mean, you can practice for it, but it's just not the same. Um, I think actually Akil Jones might have said that they took these guys a little bit lightly. They took Air Force a little bit lightly, and that's something that everybody was looking for. Everybody in the media was looking for somebody to say that because that's the question. You know, when you are a Power 5 team playing a Group of 5 team, it's tough to get up. It's tough to really put yourself all the way in on winning the game. Um, I still don't know that I'd read too much into that because, you know, Mel Tucker didn't say that. Mikhail Onu didn't say that. Numoto Fallo didn't say that. Nate Landman didn't say that. Steven Montez didn't say that. LaVisca Chenault didn't say that. Maybe they just didn't want to, and it was true. <sighs> Who knows? I'm not too worried about that aspect. Uh, Arizona State coming up this week, that's going to be a challenge. We will dig into that more this week because that's going to be a fun game. I mean, you saw what they did to Michigan State yesterday, and now... Now the Buffs are heading down to Tempe to take on Jaden Daniels and that Arizona State squad. That should be a fun game. You know, the week before, Big Sky School, Sacramento State or Portland State, can't remember which one, pretty much the same thing. They, what, Arizona State has a 3 nothing halftime lead, something like that. This is an up-and-down squad, which is what you expect from a team that has a true freshman quarterback and youth around the roster. It's a challenge for Colorado. Uh, I feel good about it, though. I feel good about it. You know, this Air Force loss puts them in a little bit tougher spot when you're talking bowl contention. They need to win four more games this season. You have Arizona State, Arizona, uh, USC, Stanford don't look like themselves, UCLA. 
I mean, those are probably your five most winnable games left on the schedule. And they start this week. Then you got the bye week and you got Arizona. So it's time to turn the page, like Mel Tucker says, 24 hours to kind of mope around, uh, think about what happened, you know, realize that you don't want this feeling again, and then move on because it's week three. And the Buffs have a winning record coming out of conference play, which is something I think most of us would have taken. Two and one heading into conference play, sure. You don't like that the loss is Air Force, but whatever. You beat Colorado State, you beat Nebraska. Let's move on to beating the Pac-12 teams. I think that's it for today. Uh, Before we go, I do want to tell you about Strava Craft Coffee because we really appreciate them because they pay our bills. Um, CBD-enriched coffee that has really changed lives. The reviews are incredible, so check them out. This CBD-infused coffee has taken away long-term migraines, back pain, arthritis, IBS. It has helped decrease anxiety, you name it. CBD is all natural and not psychoactive. The coffee is rich and tasty, and we couldn't recommend it more to our listeners. Check it out for yourself today and receive 20% off when you use code BSN2019 at checkout, and you can get it shipped straight to your door. All right, guys. As always, thanks for riding with me. I will be back on Monday with another podcast uh, after I go up to Boulder and see what Mel Tucker had to say about the loss now that he's had a chance to watch on film um all right <laughs> see you then bye guys i think they like my colorado sway cuz when i'm in it play i don't really i don't really know just how to act and when i'm in it go you know i'm acting bad holly get a bus with my colorado sway my colorado sway my colorado sway i think they like i think they like my Mess them up.
but we say we got em. If we don't, then we'll get em. When we see em, then we have em. like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in that flag, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in that go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag, my Colorado swag.